Mike's Daily Podcast. We had a couple days of nice, clear Mike's Daily Podcast. Sunny weather, that's great because we needed that. It gets so bad when it's all raining and you feel like you need to make a arc that will get beached on Mount Ararat and that you'll get out of that. And you'll walk around with a bunch of animals that you put in there. Because it's been a lot of raining. Mike's Daily Podcast. Is my point. It's like floods and whatnot. But apparently we're okay until next week. Mike's. Or next. Daily. Yeah, about a week from today. Podcast. Next Sunday. Yeah. Welcome to FF episode 2548. 2548. 2548. FF episode. Mike Matthews and Mike's Daily Podcast. Yes. It was so nice not to have to worry about rain coming down and oh no, am I going to have more water in my basement? At this point, there's just going to be a lot of water in the basement. And at this point, I really, I really, as much as I hate it, I can't wait to stop something I dislike even more. And that is those people. I don't know where those people come from. Mostly colleges, because they're professors and whatnot. That say, oh, California's still in a drought. Oh, all the water went out into the ocean. Oh my gosh, I heard that. 90% of the water that hit California since like Christmas has gone out to the ocean. 90%. I don't know if that's that where that figure came from. I'm not sure. That doesn't sound right. A lot of water goes into the ground and gets stored in aquifers and below ground in places. And a lot of it gets stored up in the reservoirs. Do we need to do more to catch water? Absolutely. I have believed that for a long, long time. And here's today's podcast picture. The podcast picture today is not of an aquifer. But that'd be neat. Maybe it'll be an aquifer. If you prefer. But no. I think we need stuff. Like, I have all these containers that I put out and I fill up with water. But Mike, in the summertime, mosquitoes, they breed other mosquitoes in there, in the water. The late great Basil the Boxer hated mosquitoes. And he hated bats. He chased after the bats, but bats eat mosquitoes and bugs and such. But the point is that I try and catch the water. And Californians, as, as a rule, there should be... And I'm talking to you, Eric Swalwell. I'm talking to you, all you local politicians. Get some money to build cisterns. Cistern, Christian, oh, the time has come to save some water or it's gonna run to the bay. Okay. But it's flowing. Yeah, flowing. And to the river. The point is, we need to stop that. What else? Oh, if you live in one of these states, you're spending way too much on eggs. Cafe anyway, we don't have any eggs. We don't believe in eggs. We believe in, in just sitting down and chatting like all these people are around us here. Okay, maybe there's some toast. 
I got a couple avocados. Maybe I'll make an avocado toast. What you do is you don't pay 11 bucks for it. Here it's free. Because it's just an avocado, which we got a bunch of in California. And ju- just toast, which we happen to have a lot of in California too for some reason. We also have tortillas and naan, but lots of toast for some reason. So then you take the avocado, put it on the toast, add a little maybe cheese, salt and pepper, a little seasoning of your choice, perhaps even some balsamic vinaigrette, a little olive oil, bam, you got yourself a nice little healthy snack, except for the bread part, but the avocado is good for you. Or just eat the avocado raw if you're going to be crazy. The point is, Cafe Anyway is where we are, and egg prices in some states doubled last month compared with the same month in 2021. This is from Instacart. States in the Midwest, including Iowa and South Dakota, those states were the hardest hit. The highest price for a dozen eggs were in other states, such as Hawaii. Well, you can expect that because Hawaii, everything's expensive there. And Florida. Egg prices rose so fast last month that in some states, consumers were paying twice as much as they did just a year earlier. States in the upper Midwest saw the average price for a dozen eggs double in December over the same month in 2021. The price rose the fastest in Iowa, where a dozen eggs jumped 153%. That's probably because stuff is cheaper overall in Iowa and suddenly they had to get up, ramp up to what the rest of the nation was paying. Neighboring states also saw egg prices at least double around the Iowa. So this is all, and they call it eggflation. This is from Business Insider. Maybe you could just do without eggs. There is a demand. Let's see. I I didn't even get to the part that um, explains why. Uh, the egg prices are likely to remain high in 2023. CalMain Foods, the largest egg producer in the U.S., said in late December that it expects that the fallout from the avian flu will continue to exert downward pressure on the overall supply of eggs well into this year. Farms that produce only organic or free-range eggs have been less affected by avian flu because that's the whole point going organic is you avoid things like this and that has led to lower prices for those type of eggs so finally we're gonna we're being forced to eat healthy those type of eggs have lower prices than the traditional type of eggs the shortages are causing sticker shock among shoppers and a lot of places have empty shelves when I was in Costco about a month ago no eggs at all No eggs And they didn't They didn't have rotisserie chicken either. That's weird No rotisserie chicken That's bizarre So Let's go To another topic I would like to now Now that I, Maybe I came off a little bit Liberal about that Saying eat organic And all that I don't know if that's a liberal thought or conservative thought Conservatives you would expect Oh keep it the way it's been It's always been good to have eggs Not done organically But see I, And I've just told you in that last story That's not true But first we have to go outside a cafe anyway We bring you Mike's Daily Podcast Somewhere in Podcastro Valleyton The last place on earth 
Yes. So what I'm going to do now is I have made this argument a couple of times on this podcast. And please share this podcast with friends. Tell them about it. Nobody tells anybody about it. And that's why I languish in obscurity. But you can call me at 336-MM-DAILY. 3 plus 3 equals 6MM as in Mike Matthews. Daily as in what this podcast tries to be. Occasionally I get interrupted like yesterday and the day before. But oh well. I try. Here's the thing. Is I have this strong, strong opinion. I was asked the other day, Hey, so you work in radio. You probably do listen to radio when you go home. You probably don't listen to radio, do you? It's like somebody that publishes books. They don't read books, do they? Oh no, au contraire. If it's in your blood, so much so that you decide to say, oh, I will take the minuscule, mealy little paycheck just to be in a field of something that I love. Yeah, you darn tootin' I'm gonna be listening to the radio when I go home. I am a complete fan of the radio, of podcasts. I started this podcast, Mike's Daily Podcast. I started podcasting in 2008, started this podcast in 2011. But yeah, I really love listening to radio. Now, what I've noticed though, and the argument that I've made is there are some types of radio that I have a lot of respect for. I loved NPR for a long time because there were really smart people on there and it was very educational and there'd be a, you know, at, at one point in time, there were older people on NPR. There were people wizened, I love that word, wizened, wizened folk who had been on NPR for a long time, were excellent at journalism, knew what they were doing. But something happened about 2008, somewhere in that vicinity. NPR decided, oh, with the rise of podcasts, podcasts are popular. We should get into that. And they looked around and they saw that the podcasts with the most listeners were the ones that had young hosts, young folk, young people, millennials, Gen Zers, Gen Zillennials. And they started to let go a lot of folk that were older working for them. Now, a lot of them retired out, said, okay, I'm done with radio. Radio will burn you out. But NPR pays well, so I don't know. I mean, the paycheck wasn't... I'm sure a lot of folks would stick around for the paycheck at NPR. But now NPR, instead of standing for National Public Radio, it's standing for No Parents Radio. Because it's all kids or kids, people that sound like kids or really young people. They don't hire. Here are the things that they look for when they hire people for NPR. You've got to be young, super young. Uh, you've got to be good looking because at some point your picture is going to maybe there's going to be something on a YouTube channel or, you know, they're going to everybody's going into more video so you gotta look good on the camera all the big radio conglomerates are doing that and and once upon a time there was the expression you have a face for radio which meant you didn't look so hot you didn't look 
like you should be on TV, so you went to radio instead. Now it doesn't matter. It's both. You have to look good on the TV, on the video, and on the radio. Because video killed the radio star. So here's the other thing. And the Buggles, by the way, uh, Trevor Horn, who was in the Buggles, who sang that song, he produced Seal. He's going to be touring with Seal this year. Uh, Seal will be doing songs. And then Trevor Horn's recreated, uh, resurrected the Buggles. So he'll do some of his stuff from the Buggles. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, They're coming somewhere to Oakland in June at the Paramount Theater is where they're going to be. And if Seal happens to be listening or Trevor Horn, please, 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 please be on my podcast. I beg you, be on my podcast because I love you both. Here's the thing, though. It's become No Parents Radio NPR. And to prove my point, I would like to play you a little piece. Now, this is not actually produced by NPR, this show Marketplace. It's, I believe it's called American Public Media that makes it. And American Public Media has this whole history. It started off with Garrison Keillor. Garrison Keillor, who you may or may not know, had some, oh, had some hashtag me too things happen that has pulled him off the radio basically but he also retired but he created American Public Media it used to be Minnesota Public Radio then American Public Media because not only was his program the Prairie Home Companion show very popular which now has turned into Live From Here I think with Chris Stilley from uh, Nickel Creek But he uh, also started Marketplace Marketplace with Kai Rizdal Let's take a look at the numbers I'm Kai Rizdal Welcome to Marketplace And I was listening to Marketplace The other day And it sounded like I was listening to college radio Which In the world of radio That's a knock If you say, oh, it sounds like college radio, it's basically saying it sounds like a bunch of kids running the show. What I mean, I mean, it sounds professional. It's well produced. But all I'm hearing are super young people sounding like they're talking on a super young little Zoom chat or something. To prove my point, let me play you a little bit. How are online retailers able to get away with this? I mean, every expert I spoke to for the recent story that I did on this basically said mm-hmm. there is is not a whole lot being done. You know, one person I talked to said, listen, the FTC is supposed to be looking at this stuff. The FTC says it's looking at this stuff, but they have limited resources. Um, and a lot of people I talked to said, you know, the risk is low here. And, and if you do get caught, maybe you'll get slapped with a fine. But if you're making a bunch of money by making people think that there are only two hotels rooms left, there's plenty of incentive to use these sorts of tactics and, and companies mm-hmm. do. I mean, I was shocked when reporting for this and looking at the different tools. All right. She's a very smart lady. This story was very fascinating. It was all about how when you go shopping online, websites use these tools to make you think you better buy it right now. Or you're going to lose the great deal you're about to pay for. They, you know, you'll, you'll close the page 
because you didn't want to buy it and it'll say, are you sure? They do that kind of thing. They put this pressure on you. And the story was also talking about stuff like, oh, if you go to Amazon or other pages, always scroll down because <laughs> the big deals are down towards the bottom of the page. But most people are too lazy to go down to the bottom of the page, the bottom of the website to check and compare. And these different websites do stuff to make you think, oh, it's the last hotel room. You better pay for it now. Oh, it's the last rug. You better pay for it now. Oh, do it before it's too late. Great story. However, it sounds, and I'm not saying this story was bad. It was just that this is what we hear a lot of. A lot of young, young people. And I, I am just saying, I understand national public radio, American public media. You guys are huge. And I know you're all about hiring people that are young and good looking. And the second thing that they have to have, if you're going to get hired by both of those, is a name that does not sound like vanilla. That does not sound like a character name you would hear on a 50s television show. It has to be exotic. It has to be different. It has to have words that you never... When I hear most of the names on these programs... I don't know what they said. And I'm like, how do you spell that? What is... It, 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 it has to be that kind of a name. I don't know why that is. I Is it diversity? Okay, maybe. I'm all for diversity. But it just seems like they... Don't, they who are they not hiring? Is what I'm wondering. Because <sighs> all I'm hearing are young voices. Young little kids. On the, All right, one other... Proof of this is on the program. This is called Here and Now. And they have hired someone recently. Not only does she have a interesting name that doesn't sound like from it's from a character from a 50s TV show. Not only is she not like from here. <laughs> By here, I mean America. I mean, she's. I think she's from Australia. Uh, she's uh, Latina, and she's there's some oh, she might have like some uh, affiliation with the Pacific Rim somewhere. I don't know, but she's from well, I guess Australia's in the Pacific Rim. But in other words, she's not a very uninteresting person, is what I'm saying. What are you saying, Mike? Anyway, cafe anyway. And I hope to meet her someday because she, and I don't remember her name off the top of my head, but she does live somewhere or she does broadcast from Alameda, which is not too far from Castro Valley. Although it takes forever to get to Alameda from Castro Valley because of all the traffic that you hit on 880. So here's a little bit of her talking with someone. I forget what this story is. about your road to being such an open and, and also hugely popular advocate for people with ADHD. Because we often hear about ADHD in kids, but your TikToks and now your book really speaks to adults. Oh, the fact that NPR even mentions the word TikTok, that upsets me oh so much. It is a platform that should be ignored by the bastion that is known as NPR. What is going on? 
So your, your audience seems to be adults. I want to ask you why. I feel like most of the content that I had seen about ADHD in the past had always been focused on, you know, parents with kids with ADHD on what felt like, how do I fix my kid? Okay, this is a wonderful story and topic. It's got people on it. Okay, I, it, Mike, you've, you've played two clips of two women talking. Young women talking. Where are the two young guys? Okay, sorry, I didn't find one of those. But And this is a very important topic. ADHD. A lot of people have it. A lot of people that I... It's not some new thing, though. I worked for a guy in Ventura that had the worst ADHD. I worked for him. He made my life hell because he would never listen to me. And he just sort of tracked along in his little world where he he just was so... His attention was all over the place, but never listening to me. So we had a lot of communication issues. ADHD is terrible because it causes communication breakdown, which causes then everything to break down. You need communication. You need good communication and everything. I think... That if uh, anybody listening to this podcast has ADHD, they probably turned it off long ago. That, but it is a thing, and it's big, and it's it's something we have to grapple with head on. Now I don't even know if that's exactly what she was talking about. Sound like she's talking about kids and parents and whatnot. But so this is what you're getting all the time on these type of public radio stations, and I don't get and and, and a lot of the correspondents host their own podcasts and why do they get to be on NPR? Oh, because they have a lot of followers of their podcast so they get hired and I'm listening and I'm like, what's the bona fides going on here? What am I, why am I listening to you? Once upon a time, there were big names on NPR. Big journalist names just with the, I mean, you still got Folk and Flick And you've got the guy who's on Morning Edition I forget his name That's why these names are so big As Mike forgets them But yes the How do I fix my kid? How do I fix NPR Is the question uh, Well That's a good question And I guess it's not for me to Audie Cornish that's right. There was uh, Neil Conan. He was bi- Ira Flato. He's still on. Let's see. Uh, oh, Steve Inskeep. There, I was having a block. Terry Gross. They've been Brooke Gladstone. They. She's still on. She's on on the media. Peter Sagal. Well, he's on. Wait, wait, don't tell me. He's a comedian. Scott Simon. He's still on Weekend Edition. Ah, Noah Adams. Wow. Yes, he was, had been on for a long time. Cokie Roberts, Bob Edwards, Scott Simon. That's right. Those were some big names. And I think some of them have died. Anyway, Cafe Anyway, on to something else. It just seems that I wish NPR would grab some people with a little more, I guess, history and credibility to their names. 
So the Supreme Court has announced investigation into the Dobbs leak. And apparently it is inconclusive. The Washington Examiner says after nearly 11 months of an investigation into who leaked a draft decision signaling overturning Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court announced Thursday its investigation is inconclusive. The courts released a 20-page public copy of the investigation. Chief Justice John Roberts initially tapped the marshal of the Supreme Court to conduct the investigation. The marshal's report noted that if a court employee disclosed the draft opinion, that person brazenly violated a system that was built fundamentally on a trust, on trust with limited safeguards to regulate and constrain access to very sensitive information and pointed to the COVID-19 pandemic as contributing to an expansion of the ability to work from home, as well as gaps in the court security networks. The House Judiciary Committee intends to continue investigating the Supreme Court draft opinion leak that surrounded Dobbs versus uh, Jackson Women's Health Organization. So the, the Supreme Court couldn't find anything. The House, which is now run by Republicans, is going to keep looking. We'll see. Now, some Republicans say that the leak led to a failed assassination attempt of a Supreme Court judge. That one led to the other, but that's pretty shaky in my opinion. But Netflix is their CEO is going to step down. The shares fell 38 percent last year. I know somebody who's working there. They love it. But yeah, Financial Times says Reed Hastings is stepping down as executive of Netflix, the company he co-founded 25 years ago, in a shakeup at the top of one of the most powerful studios in Hollywood. Isn't that fascinating? Hastings, who launched Netflix in 1997 as a DVD by mail service, which we all had because it was a brilliant idea, and then Blockbuster copied it. And they said, hey, if you bring back the DVD to the store, we'll give you a free rental. You could just walk and pick whatever you want and leave. And now Blockbuster's gone. Wrote in a blog post, Hastings wrote in a blog post that he had been increasingly delegating management in recent years. Now is the right time to complete my succession. Reuters says shares of the company, which had fallen nearly 38% in the past year, rose 7.9%. In after hours training But There you go It's amazing How a Service It's like Can you imagine If Blockbuster started making Movies And TV shows But that never happened Netflix They Were smart enough To somehow do it Although I'm trying to think Of something on Netflix That I really really Enjoyed Because I was not a fan of Stranger Things. Sorry. I had to watch it because everybody else was watching it. But the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, gosh. This needs to be edited better. Kind of like this podcast. And Amazon, which has the Amazon Prime, which I watch Amazon Prime because you can watch the Acorn TV Channel through that And watch all the stuff That's on Acorn TV Because I love me Some British Australian And New Zealand TV shows Swedish ones Not too much Because There's the Subtitles you gotta read And then that language Is so weird 
Hey I'll watch the subtitles And listen to them talking in Swedish And then I will learn Swedish No that ain't gonna happen Daily Wire says Amazon is shutting down Its charity platform As part of the company's recent cost cutting efforts The Amazon Smile program That allows customers to donate A percentage of their purchases Through the company To a selected non-profit organization Will end next month That according to the Daily Wire Washington Examiner says Amazon stock has been on a downward trend Just like the Netflix By late fall, it had suffered a loss of $1 trillion in market capitalization From its all-time highs in 2021 The company is reconsidering several of its investments Including by cutting more than 18,000 jobs over several months And you heard Google cutting about as many jobs as that Maybe a little bit less Microsoft cutting as many jobs Maybe a little bit less Meta something around that many jobs It's It is just If you are in tech It's not good Which leads me To my final topic And this is something My lovely lady friend sent to me Now let me tell you She and I Will probably argue a little bit About what I talked about On today's show And she'll disagree with me And that's fine But we do agree on this And this is an article That came from the New York Times And the word snowflake Perhaps May come to mind Sorry But that's That's just uh, how that works Okay Let's see if it opens New York Times here says That the uh, Tech layoffs are shocking The younger folk And When Lyft For example Laid off 13% of its workers So it's not just The huge tech companies But Some of the other Somewhat tech related Type companies Cause you need an app In order to make Lyft Work For you So they let go 13% of their workers In November Kelly Chang was shocked to find herself among the 700 people who lost their jobs at the San Francisco company. It seemed like tech companies had so much opportunity. If you got a job, you made it. It was a sustainable path, she says. She's 26. She's 26 and landed a job at a tech company. Now, you know that tech companies pay. They don't pay what radio pays. They pay really, really well. And that's a lot, a lot, a lot of money. And it is based on some weird tech business model that, okay, at Google, I know somebody that left radio to work in the cafeteria at Google. And he was making a lot of money. I don't know if he still got that job. But he's he's happy there. Brian Pulliam, on the other hand, brushed off the news that crypto exchange Coinbase was eliminating his job. After the 48-year-old, now he ain't a youngin, it's closer to my age, when he was laid off from his first job at the video game company Atari in 2003, way back when, he said that he was asked, he asked himself once a year, if I were laid off, what would I do ever since that happened? The contrast between Chang and Pulliam's reactions to their respective professional letdowns 
speaks to a generational divide that is becoming clearer as the tech industry, which expanded rapidly through the pandemic, swings towards mass layoffs. Microsoft had 10,000 jobs they cut. Uh, Google on Friday cut 12,000 jobs. And the cuts follow big layoffs as other tech companies such as Meta, Amazon, and Salesforce cut jobs. Millennials and Generation Z, but born between the years 1981 and 2012, which if anybody is working at a tech company that was born in 2012, that's so wrong. That's wrong on so many levels. I think even Charles Dickens would agree. But those people uh, started tech careers during a decade-long expansion when jobs multiplied as fast as iPhone sales. The companies they joined were conquering the world and defying economic rules. And when they went to work at outfits that offered bus rides to the office, and like Google offers a masseuse, uh, food, whatever you want for free, uh, a, a nap room, you have childcare, you have professional physical activity trainers to work out with. And they all got, had anything they wanted, basically. All the amenities. Laundry. They weren't just taking on a new job. They were taking on a lifestyle. Few of them had experienced widespread layoffs. Baby boomers, Generation X, well, we, on the other hand, lived through the biggest contraction the industry has ever seen. The dot-com crash in the early O's, eliminating more than one million jobs, emptying Silicon Valley's Highway 101 of commuters as many companies folded overnight. What a stark contrast. I knew somebody in 2016 who basically commuted along the 101 to get to work from the peninsula down to Silicon Valley. And she said, oh my gosh, I'm going crazy with this traffic. She could not stand it. So by 2016, well, actually since until we had the pandemic and people of course were staying home it but the traffic has come back quite a bit but we'll see with these big layoffs if it will be as bad a software engineer jason demoro who was laid off twice in 18 months and was out of work for six months said it was a bloodbath and it went on for years as concerning as the current downturn is, and as much as I sympathize with the people impacted, there's no comparison, he says. Tech's generational divide is representative of a broader phenomenon. The year someone is born has a big influence on views about work and money. Early personal experiences strongly determine a person's appetite for financial risk. This according to a study in 2011 at the University of California, Berkeley. And University of Chicago It analyzed Federal Reserve Survey of Consumer Finances From 1960 to 2007 And found that people who came of age In the 70s when the stock market stagnated Were reluctant to invest In the early 80s when it roared That trend reversed in the 90s Once you experience your first crash Things change You may realize bad stuff happens And maybe you should be a bit more cautious For Gen X The dot com collapse hit early in their careers 
from 2001 to 2005, the tech sector shed one quarter of its workers. The layoffs were, that swept the industry were worse than the recessions of the early 90s when total jobs in the tech fell, sector fell by 5%. And the global financial crisis that followed in 2008, workforce contracted by 6%. In 2011, the tech sector began a hiring boom that would last a decade. It added an average of more than 100,000 jobs every single year. Gosh, and by 2021, it had recouped all the jobs it lost when the dot-com dot-bomb-bubble burst. The job figures account for software, hardware, tech services, and telecommunication companies. But they also include some tech-related companies like Lyft and Uber, Airbnb, because of the ambiguity in government labor market reporting that classifies its some businesses as consumer services, the biggest job increase in tech came after the pandemic started as companies rushed to fulfill surging demand. In 2022, the sector added nearly 260,000 jobs. And most the mo- that was the most it had added in a single year since 2000. Tech's job increases continued last year even as big layoffs started, though it's unclear if that trend has stretched into this year. New job opportunities contributed to nearly 80% of laid off tech workers saying that they found a new job within three months. And that was all, do you remember that whole silent quitting thing? Quiet quitting thing? That was all happening. At the beginning of last year, people were leaving jobs left and right. Oh, there's so many opportunities. I can just quit this job and get that job. No more. Because people are letting them go. People, because so many people are getting let go. Anyway, cafe. Anyway, this article can be found in the New York Times, and it's just interesting because it is a thing, and it's something to remember that you may think you are safe, but you never are truly safe unless you are truly efficient in your company's eyes. Someone that they can completely depend on when they ask you to show up to do a shift on a weekend. You don't say, I don't work weekends. You say, I will do it. You got to be someone that's indispensable, that's unlosable, irreplaceable, all those things. And then you'll be fine. All right, I guess I'm pretty much done with that bit of stuff. But it is a big thing going on in today's world. Just as outside a cafe anyway, here are some big people. Hello, Michael Message, Madam Rudebago. All of that is interesting. Oh! I wasn't calling you like big per se, as a big person. Just, you are a, a, an important person, is what I meant. Did that make sense? Yes. Did you understand everything I said? Yes. Did you like today's podcast? No. Oh, man. I was trying so hard. Michael Masu, perhaps you should talk more about aquifers. Woo. Aquifers, yes. They are fascinating. Look who else is here. Hello, Dave Mike. This is Valentino, the parking attendant. And this is Bison Bentley. Do you know that? Mike, it seems like you were really hard today. 
on Gen Z and Millennials Day. Yeah, young people. Do you know that? Well, I do know. I'm just saying I love I love the changes that have happened in recent years to certain industries. But I think in a lot of ways we have completely lost lost some of the stuff that we should have remembered back in the day. And relying completely on podcasters to be to be employed to it, it, employing young people. I just think there's there is so much ageism in the tech world. And now I mean, all these young people, these 20-somethings were hired in the tech world because they were young, similar to NPR. Young people, good-looking people, they hire them. They're smart, they hire them. Let the older folk go. Nope, they're gone. Let them go. And then they're asking for their stapler. Uh, Where's my office? Is it in this closet? What happened? I've been let go. Oh, no. And they. it just seems that there's a wealth of knowledge in the older folk that got cast aside. And I felt that when I came to California in 2009 and I was looking for a job, it was impossible. And then some people took a chance on me and I was very thankful. And that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of thinking we need more of. Next show, it's going to be the wonderful Shelly Shuhart, Floyd the Floorman, and John Deere the Engineer. You can call me 336-MM-DAILY. 3 plus 3 equals 6MM as in Mike Matthews. Daily as in what this podcast tries to be. And let me know what you think. And more ways to reach me, it's A-Frame. Mike's Daily Podcast is written and produced and performed by Mike Matthews. His podcast is super easy to find. Download or listen to his show and read his blog at mikesdailypodcast.com. Email Mike now at mikesdailypodcast at gmail.com. See you tomorrow. Bye.